podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are recapping a fantastic Big 12 conference opening victory for the Kansas Jayhawks. They took down the BYU Cougars 38-27 to in the first ever game for those BYU Cougars in the Big 12. To help me talk about this game and to recap everything that happened is, of course, my deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising, Kyle Davis. Kyle, how you doing today? I'm good. I, I know one of these days that, you know, we're going to have to come on here after a loss and talk about it, but I'm just enjoying talking about some wins while we can have them. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for let's delay that as long as possible. Like, you know, maybe we can talk about our first loss in like the you know, college football playoff national championship game. Works for me. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've heard a lot of people talking about this team and how good they are and like what a realistic expectation is for them. So my first question for you is going to be the game that you saw against BYU. Does that change your expectation for this team? Does that change the ceiling that you have for this team? I mean, I already, I had Kansas at eight and four, which I thought was on the more optimistic side. Um, I, I will say, yes, I think this, this BYU game was the most complete game that Kansas has played so far this year, both not only from like kickoff to final whistle, but also just every facet of the game. Um, so I will say it makes me feel better about my eight and four pick. You know, there's some weird stuff's going to happen. There are tough teams. But also the Big 12 is kind of weird this year. I mean, you've got obviously, you know, Texas on the road is going to be a very tall order. But then the only other team that's undefeated right now is Oklahoma. You get them at home. You get K-State at home. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of quarterback injuries, uh, kind of like what happened to Kansas last year is happening to other teams, which is it stinks to see. But, like, we don't know if UCF's going to have uh, – um, Plumley back by by the game, what, in two weeks? And, and Baylor's going through quarterback issues, which I don't think we played in this year, but no, Texas Tech's but... going through it. So Texas Tech, it's just, you know, you've seen it kind of across the board. And so um, I feel I feel good about my eight and four. I think even nine and three or, you know, is, is much more realistic. So I think, yes, to your point, you know, if you were going to say, even if eight and four was going to happen, but even if you had higher expectations than eight and four, you had to win these first four games. Um, you had to, you had to for sure go sweep through the non-conference. And then, you know, you've got a couple where coming up, obviously anything can happen, but you would think, you would think Oklahoma state should be a win. Iowa state should be a win and Cincinnati should be a win. So right now you're already four. and know you could think those are maybe get you to seven and then, you know, that I think Texas Tech could kind of go either way. UCF could go either way, especially I think Kansas would have to be favored if, if um, especially if, if UCF's on a, a second string quarterback. And then you're talking about there's nine wins there. So, yes, I think what, you know, I've been pretty optimistic all the way around, but I think seeing this happen now in Big 12 play and then put on what was their best performance to date absolutely makes you have to think that the ceiling it's pretty high, especially when you look at the rest of the schedule and how things are shaping up for for other teams. Because as we know, in, in any kind of football, you see this in the NFL or when everything else, you know, the Chiefs are about to play the Jets 
next week, six weeks ago, that looked like an amazing marquee matchup. And now it's a dud because so much can change. We're looking at how much can change in the big 12 in any given week and what's happening with some of these teams. And now outside of, you know, Oklahoma at home in Texas, every other game seems winnable. And that includes K-State. Yeah. I mean, you look at what's happened with the big 12, like K-State's offensive line doesn't look nearly as good as it usually is. Their defensive line is pretty good, but it's had some problems. Um, They were probably the biggest challenge outside of Oklahoma and Texas. And, you know, I, I felt good about this Oklahoma game. I think we'll learn a lot more about them as they play Iowa State this week coming up. Um, you know, I'm also thinking just, you know, Texas is like the game that you are pretty much sure that you're going to lose. Um, like, if you're just trying to be as objective as possible looking at the percentages, like, it is by far the game that you have the highest percentage chance to lose that game. And, but that's it. Like, the rest of those are all winnable. Like, even I think the Oklahoma game is winnable at this point because I still am not sold on Oklahoma's defense. I said nine and three coming in the year. And for the second straight year, I'm like, I can't talk myself out of it as much as I tried coming into the year. And it's turning out the things that I saw that made me think, Hey, this is possible for a nine and three season this year or last year possible for them to go bowling. Those things happen. They came, they came to fruition. We saw those things start to just develop throughout the year. And it ended up being a better year last year than we, than a lot of people thought it was going to be. And I think this year, they're set up really well. Like ten and two is not is not impossible at this point. You could, you well, know, like I mean, there's just so yeah. there's so many different things here that could happen that could really help this team. Now, granted, UCF could be actually be a good team, and if they get John Rice Pumley back in that game, then theoretically that could be a problem for Kansas. You know, Texas Tech could somehow figure out all of a sudden what it is that they're doing, pull their heads out of their butts, and actually play a competitive game against the Jayhawks. You know, Iowa State, their defense might actually be as good as it normally is. And their offense might've finally actually started to figure things out. I think we'll find out here in the next couple of weeks, but you look at it right now, KU should be favored in every single game, except for Texas and Oklahoma the rest of the way. Yeah. And I think the, the, and this might transition us into the game itself, but the reason why you feel more optimistic, especially after this game is because what did we say in the off season? We said, we know what the offense is going to be can the defense improve and get to even just average. And then, can we shore up the special teams now? Like I know there's some things, you know, the the penalties are still just kind of honestly brutal, but as of now you've seen, okay, the defense is better. And I know we'll get to that as part of the complete game. The special teams is much better, especially the kicking game uh, is much more reliable. And so those are two areas where you've seen pretty drastic, at least through four games, pretty drastic improvement from one year to the next. And that's what helps raise the ceiling because we know what the offense can be. We always knew what the offense can be. Now you get a uh, a, a run-stopping defense that also can, you know, make big plays when it needs to and a little bit more reliability in the, in the special teams in the kicking game. And then you're not putting as much pressure on Jalen Daniels and the rest of the offense to have to go out there in order to be 9-3. and three. Yeah, I mean, you know, the defense, I think, is the story. It's been the story all year long so far. Like in the first four weeks, that's been the issue or the the unsung hero, like what we expected to happen. And, you know, you look at things like S&P Plus, it still has Kansas as the 80th ranked defense. And, you know, the biggest issue with looking at those numbers is it builds in a ton of historical data. Like it looks at the last basically five years and waits at the sooner stuff more. Like so the more recent it is, the higher it's weighted. But there's so much bad history for the Jayhawks weighing them down in a lot of those statistical models that, 
you know, it says that they're 80th in defense. I don't believe it. Like that, this is this is a top, at least a top 30 defense right now. Um, potentially even better. Like they are playing extremely well. You look at a lot of the big plays that they gave up, and yes, I mean, I I don't think that was so much of a Kansas just can't stop the pass as they they sold out for the run in this game. I mean, anytime you hold a team to nine net rushing yards, yes, that's right, nine net rushing yards. That is ridiculous. They had over 30 carries in this game, and they yeah. only got nine well, yards. And also, if you if you notice, the the passing numbers are a little bit misleading, too, because I think there's some context that's needed here. One is, is that uh, – the the defensive front was getting so much pressure that Slovis was doing the Tom Brady two two step release, get the ball out as fast as you can before they get there. Which means while he is effective, he is not taking as many deep shots down the field. Now right. we saw in the second half they were having to take a little more deep shots, but in the second quarter especially, he you know yes he threw for three hundred fifty seven yards. It took him thirty completions to do that. He only averaged seven yards a pass, and he so had fifty one total passes attempts. Right. right. And so and so you could see that even when the, the defensive front wasn't getting there, it changed the scheme. And then also, I think, you know, even looking at I think we also need to, to kind of I think this happens a lot where we, it, not just with Kansas, with any team we're we're very quick to bash on the defense for not getting a stop every single time. And I think we kind of need to appreciate that, you know, Slopus is a really good quarterback. He he started at USC as a freshman for a reason. Now he didn't turn into Caleb Williams, but he is a veteran, competent quarterback who, on some of those passes, just you kind of have to tip his head, and he put the ball where only his receiver was going to get it, and he made some good plays. And even with you know he's he's not going to be the best quarterback that Kansas faces, but he's not going to. Yeah, I would say. What do you think? Slovis is probably in the top half of quarterbacks that they're going to face this year. And while he got some numbers, some of it, I don't want to call him garbage, but he had to work for those numbers. And, you know, he, and also still, you still got two interceptions and a fumble recovery out of the passing game for BYU and 14 total points. And so part of it's like, you know, we like to batch on the defense, but like, obviously like BYU is not a bad offensive team. This is a good offensive team who had scored 30 plus points in two of the previous three games. So I, I, you know, we're quick to be like, oh, well, again, they gave up 357 yards in the air and all this sort of stuff. If you look at the numbers and see what they were doing and how hard BYU had to work and ultimately what BYU was able to do, that was a good showing by the defense all the way around, including the secondary. Yeah, And I mean, sometimes I think we, we were a little quick to blame the defense and not give the credit of, hey, that's a really good quarterback back there, and that's a really good offensive unit for BYU that they just went up against. Yeah, I mean, you look you look at the rankings, right? You go to Pro Football Focus, Jalen Daniels, you know, and, and, and we'll talk about him in this game. Um, you know, he, he's ranked 16th overall when you look at uh, when you look at the quarterback rankings and you go to BYU like Will Howard's at 40, you know, so they'll play him later. BYU actually, I think before this game, he was a decent amount higher. He's now all the way down at 78th now, um, which is lower than I thought it was going to be. But. I think a lot of that has to do with what Kansas did to him in that game. I, I believe coming out of the game, he was up in like the, the low fifties. Um, he is a good quarterback. He has, he has some very specific things that you can take advantage of. His decision-making is usually pretty good, but you can confuse him. You can get him, you know, you can give him enough different looks 
that it makes it very difficult for him to do what, exactly what he needs to do. But, you know, this was a game like you talked about, and, and I mentioned this probably three or four times in, you know, over on Twitter and then in the live blog we had at Blue Wings Rising during the game. It was like BYU is just chunk yarding Kansas, but Kansas is also playing like 15 yards off of receivers. And like you said, they got so much pressure and Kansas was playing so much soft zone coverage um, or, or soft man coverage as well that BYU just knew that they could get those. And it was pretty clear that all Kansas had to do, like the idea was to keep BYU from getting those deep passes, from being able to lob it over the top, and you trusted your pass rush to get there. And they did for the vast majority of the game. They were there. They were causing problems. They were doing all kinds of ridiculous things to make it really hard for Keaton Slovis to do what he needed to do. And so I call that successful. I mean, like he had, you know, 59% completion percentage. That That's a ridiculously low number for a college, you know, for, for a power five college quarterback. Um, you know, he spread it around to nine different receivers, but none of the re- – or. You know, you had you had a few receivers that had some pretty good, you know, catches. But, I mean, he only had – there was only two receiving touchdowns to two interceptions. Like, you take that every single time. You held them to just one other touchdown. Like, Kansas got a lot of stops. And not only did yep. they get a lot of stops, but they also slowed down BYU to the point where BYU had to go on these long methodical drives and then try to finish it off in the end zone. They stopped them twice for field goals. You know, BYU was two of four on fourth down. Um, you know, Kansas did a lot to really make it a difficult night for them. And and it was great. Obviously, you have to talk about the two fantastic plays, you know, to start one to start each half where Kobe Bryant got the fumble, caused the fumble. There's a lot of people that for some reason thought it should have been targeting. It was very clearly not targeting. Um Although I can bl- I can't blame people for thinking live that it was targeting because I thought live that they at least were going to review it, but once you got the the views and it was pretty clear that you know helmets went on the sides of each other and you had a shoulder going to the chest of the the BYU running back, that was just a mean hit. That was just a big hit that was able to jostle that loose and Kobe Bryant picks it up and goes in the end zone and then the double tip six this is is what I you know crowned it while we were watching the game. You know, you get, again, to start the game or start the, the half, just two players make fantastic reads on the ball. Um, Kalen Gervin got the first tip. Jason Gilliam was right there by it, so he, got, he tipped it again, and that made it hang up in the air enough that Kenny Logan could grab it, leap over both of those guys, and then run all the way to the end zone. But I think what gets lost in those, right, is like you had those two fi- two fantastic plays. What gets lost in those is that, Kansas almost had a pick on the first defensive play. I was going to bring that up if you did, right. and I was going to Mello, say OJ, OJ Burrow. Oh yeah, o, gets, no, 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 no. Mellow Dotson yeah, they, in the first half almost had a pick yes, then, on the first play, but then on the and then in the yep. second half, right? OJ Burrows ha, would have had a pick six if he was able to hold on the ball because he jumped that route ridiculous. So the, the Kansas the, defense yeah. was reading Keaton Slovis very well, and BYU was making some adjustments in the middle of the half, but Kansas had their number from the jump knowing what they needed to do. And and that that to me speaks of coaching that we did not see from these defenses um, in, in the last couple of years. I think the coaching staff has taken a step up. The players are understanding the system better. Everybody's understanding what it is they need to do. And the fact that you have a pass rush that can cause that much havoc makes it so much easier for those guys to make those reads because you're forcing a guy to do something. 
Right. And, and yeah, and I think that I, Burroughs actually had a couple of plays throughout the game that it didn't show up on the stat line, but it was like, okay, wow, he's in it. And I think what you've seen kind of across the board, because we always knew that Kobe Bryant was capable of this. We always knew that Kenny Logan was a big playmaker, big hitter. I, I think the, this game sums up really well is that this team, the secondary unit has kind of learned to, I, the coaching staff, I think, did a good job of not taking away this kind of instinct, but harnessing it so that they're not jumping and, and missing nearly as much as they were. Like, you know, there, there was a tendency in the past where Bryant or someone else in the secondary would make a big play, you know, capitalize, get a, a pick, but then they would also, you know, lunge for a ball that they would miss and it would go for 40 yards the other direction, that sort of thing. What you've seen is that they, they're kind of biding their time. And again, I think they're they're – they're reading the quarterback a lot better. They're being a lot more disciplined and they're still, they've harnessed that just hard hitting attack. We are going to set the tone mentality without being reckless. And that was last year. It felt like maybe they were a little reckless at times. And I think that's something that's, that's shored up more is that they, they did not take away the um, intensity because you still see that with Kobe Bryant and, and everyone else, but they've harnessed it a little bit better and they've kind of, used it in and they're just it seems like they're reading the game much better which is what you want you want that you want the offense to be scared of of you lingering back there and what you know could happen if they put the ball over the middle in a dangerous spot or or you know don't look off the the safety that sort of thing but also it just doesn't seem like that secondary is getting burned nearly as much as they were last year yeah i mean you look at it last year it was um you know, I would say that they were very aggressive, but I, I, I like the way you described it as reckless. I think last year they weren't as quick as they are this year. So they had to make those jumps sooner. They had to break on the ball a lot quicker. And so they were, you know, leaving themselves open to someone recognizing it and taking advantage of it or recognizing the pattern and taking advantage of it by doing something completely different. And so I think this year, you know, I, I've talked about it a few times, but uh, Gildersleeve, Matt Matt Gildersleeve, the the strength and conditioning coach, talked about how much faster this team is than it was last year. Last year they worked on getting strength. This year they worked on getting speed. They're a lot faster. Like you can see them be able to accelerate and get into breaks a whole lot quicker. And I think OJ Burroughs was the perfect example of that. You've seen Dotson jump a few routes, and he hasn't been able to hold on to the ball all the time. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant has done the same thing. Like you see guys jumping routes, whereas before it was like, wait a minute. You know, there's no chance he gets that. And now it's like, where the heck did that guy come from? He jumps that so quickly that I did not even see it coming. And so I think that gives Kansas a lot more options to be more aggressive. I think that it's been, it's worked against them, especially the running game quite a bit this year. BYU, I don't think was set up to be able to take advantage of how aggressive this team is in the running game. But, you know, I, I think that Kansas was able to really kind of force them to ignore that running game. I don't think that BYU can cut back nearly as often as, a team like Texas is going to be able to, or a team like Oklahoma or something like that. But I definitely do think that this is a team that knows how they want to play defense. That is much more disciplined, like you said. And yes, we've had, you know, guys jump off sides to give, you know, big, like it's been two weeks in a row where a guy has jumped off sides on a fourth and short and give them a first down. That's frustrating. But I actually was, was trying to talk with Lance Leipold about this after the game, um, didn't get a chance to ask him the question, but talked with some of the some of the uh, defenders and kind of heard some of the other questions. It's like that is something that they teach, though, like that aggression. They don't want to take that aggression and take that, you know, that that oomph away. 
to get rid of those penalties, you're willing to live with a couple of those penalties every once in a while because of what it brings and how it allows you to actually get after the quarterback in those big spots. All right, so I do want to jump over to the offense and kind of talk about all of that, but um, you actually, you know what does not pull back, does not wait on anything, and that would be our sponsor here on the podcast, uh, the fine people over at the Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is the or has some of the best vintage college wear that you are going to find anywhere. They have more than 30 different schools. They are very Big 12 focused. They are based right here in Kansas City, and they have just absolutely fantastic stuff. They have all the Big 12 schools except for Cincinnati, um, which they are still working on. But they have just fantastic logos, fantastic designs. The Jalen Daniels shirt is amazing i you know i keep going to the website and finding new things every single time i go look i have probably cycled through about 15 different things that i'm like that's the first thing i'm getting when i go and order from charlie hustle and of course you can get a fantastic deal 15 percent off of any non-sale item by using promo code 10 12 15 that is t-e-n the numbers one two one five that will get you 15 percent on all items that are non-sale they just have so much stuff whether you're going to have it for yourself whether you're going to get it for people for Christmas, that Trump promo code is good. Not just the first time you order. It's good every single time you go and order on things that are not on sale. So make sure you save that. Use it for Christmas shopping because I can guarantee you're going to have people that would absolutely love some of the great apparel over at Charlie Hustle. So Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right. So let's go ahead and jump over. I'm sorry. We will jump over to the offense here in just a second. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Talk podcast. And we're back. All right, I'm here with Kyle Davis. We are recapping this fantastic BYU win for the Jayhawks. And let me tell you, I think the first takeaway that I got from a lot of people that were talking about this game was like, what the heck was wrong with Jalen Daniels here? He only got 130 yards passing, but he did have three touchdowns. Um, You know, are you concerned at all? The fact that he, you know, did that on, I believe he was a... 11 of 19 or something. I actually, 14 for 19. 14 of 19. Yeah. For some reason, I was I was like, I know 13 is not right. I knew it was, anyway, 14 of 19. So only five incompletions, um, 130 yards. Like, yeah, that's not fantastic. But thinking about how many times they passed the ball compared to how many times they ran the ball and just how effective they were in the rushing game. Like, what's your big takeaway about Jalen Daniels for this game? Or was this just a game where they didn't need him to be throwing the ball? We, I mean, well, part of it is that when you get two defensive scores and another, another pick with good field position, you just don't have as many plays. I mean, Kansas as a whole only ran five more plays than BYU attempted passes. And right. BYU then proceeded to run the ball 22 more times. So, like, you just don't have as many plays uh, that you need to do. And so I thought what Jalen Daniels did was uh, – exactly what Kansas needed. He was very efficient throwing the ball. I'm not worried about the passing yardage because what we also saw and what Jalen Daniels is so good at is his overall, the ways that he can beat you. And we saw them running multiple option plays for him for the first time. He had 54 yards on the ground. And I think you got to look at the kind of the total production there. They were, they were, that was the first time they really kind of let him and Neil go with either options or, read options or whatever that may be. And so, you know, this is a game where you're in the lead the whole time. Your defense keeps scoring or giving you the ball in good position. You don't really have – all you have to do as a quarterback is 
capitalize on it and not make mistakes. And that's what he did. He, three touchdowns and no interceptions and only five incompletions. I think you, you take that any day of the week. And this is one of those games where this wasn't a, because of the way the defense played, this was not a typical shootout with BYU where each quarterback threw it. Like this was not the Arkansas game. We know like, this is not the, this is the same Jalen Daniels that played in the Liberty bowl. It was just cir- different circumstances and different needs from the team. And I think you, you see Jalen Daniels um, maturity and his intellect to know what the team needs and the, the kind of the context of it. And in the Liberty Bowl, they needed him to go Peyton Manning, throw it 50 times and just be the gunslinger. And that's not what they needed here. He was efficient. He, again, he used his legs really, really well, especially on there was multiple third downs where he picked up on like a third and six after sometimes after the, the onto the vines, you know, hurt themselves with the false start. So no, I have I have zero concerns with Jalen Daniels. If if he was eleven for twenty seven with two touchdowns and a pick, you know, maybe that would be a concern. But he did. I thought he took what the game gave him and what the Jayhawks needed, and he executed flawlessly. I have no no issues with Jalen Daniels. I, I think this is one of those games where because of the con- context of the situation, his stat line, stat line is not going to reflect how valuable he was. But, I mean, if you watch the game with your eyes, you you realize, like, that was a really good performance by him and that those numbers are not going to do it justice. Well, I mean, and, and let's be honest. Like, you look at that game, and, and what was the big complaint coming out of the Nevada game? It was that Jalen – like, we didn't see the Jalen Daniels running game that we were used to seeing. And so people were worried about, well – you know, yeah, he passed it all over the place, but we didn't really see him run. So, like, what's what's wrong? This this game was exactly the opposite, and it was again for a very similar reason. Lance Seipold actually said in the post game press conference that against Nevada, they intentionally did not run Jalen as much as they normally would because they were trying to save hits for the Big Twelve Conference. Makes complete sense when you think about it. Nevada is a team that you think you can get away with removing one aspect, you know, of your offense that has. A, a higher risk of getting such an important player injured. Um, and yeah, they were barely able to able to squeak by Nevada, but I think that a lot, a lot of that had to do with just how fired up Nevada was and, you know, all the other circumstances kind of surrounding it. But you saw Jalen Daniels get back to what it was that made him successful in the run game. You know, he was, he was making good reads. He was, you know, they, they were doing a bunch of triple option stuff and he was able to keep it with some good ones because BYU jumped to the running back instead of, or, or jumped to the pitch man instead of, you know, holding on to Daniels like you're supposed to. And so he was able to take advantage of those when he needed to. You also have, you know, I mean, any anytime you run for 221 yards and, you know, on 37 attempts, average six yards a carry, like if you're not leaning on the running game when the running game is getting you six yards a carry, and, you know, by the way, BYU ran 20 more plays, basically. Time of possession was equal. It was 30 minutes and 5 seconds for BYU to 29 minutes and 55 seconds for KU. So the fact they were able to run so successfully and hold onto the ball that long and shorten the game when you didn't need your guys to just throw it all over the place, combine that with the fact that the defense, you know, basically ate up a, a possession or two for the Kansas offense because they scored. And that, I mean, that's what you want your defense to do, but it, it does lower offensive stats. I'm not worried about the offense in this one. I think there was a lot of people that were kind of wondering Kansas's bread and butter when they're playing their best is when the running game gets going. And then Jalen Daniels can just do whatever it is that he needs to do in the passing game. You, you know, 
he can have, I think, this type of game where he has 130 yards and three touchdowns, and that can be a better game than when he has 400 yards but, you know, one touchdown, and that's the entire offense. So I am perfectly fine with it. You've already said that you're perfectly fine with it. I'm not worried about the offense. A lot of people, I, I saw a lot of people talk about, oh, man, BYU held, you know, Kansas 150 yards under their average, you know, and, and they had more. And, and these were about even offensively. It's like, no, these two teams were not even at all offensively in this game. Kansas was able to play in a way that they wanted to play, and they were super successful in it, which made their, you know, one asset or one facet of their offense look completely different than what it did. Whereas BYU was forced to throw all the time, could not get anything going in the run game. And while BYU is not a great running team, you know, they average about 100 yards a game, they are still a team that has to run to be successful. And so the fact that Kansas was able to stop that made it so much easier for Kansas to just do whatever they needed to do on offense and get out of there with a win. Yeah, the, 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 you just watching that game, it was much easier to to just operate as an offense for one team than it was the other. And it was very clear that Kansas and, and Daniels and Neil and everyone could, could do about whatever they wanted. And they even had, there was a couple of drops. I'm, I'm specifically thinking of one from Lawrence Arnold on the sideline where like he catches that, that's another first down and just, you know, more yardage racked up. And, and that was like one of the only miscues, if you can even call it that, that you can point at from this offense. And again, you want your teams to be able to, adjust and take advantage of what they give you you want to be able to win a shootout when you need to and also win a defensive battle if you need to and run the ball really well and on the option or be able to throw the ball downfield like you want to be multi-dimensional BYU was was as one-dimensional as you could get they were getting absolutely nothing on the ground when you knew Slovis was going to have to sling it there and it was the complete opposite from Kansas it seemed like they had BYU's defense on the back foot just the entire game yeah, for sure. All right. I mean, and, and, and like you said, there was a, there was a few, you know, like Mason Fairchild had a dropped uh, pass or maybe his wasn't dropped. It was actually broken up, but like Trevor Cardell, you know, like Kansas could have scored on that first possession. They had plenty of opportunities and they kind of squandered it a little bit. Of course, obviously, you know, the, the quick touchdown by Kobe Bryant really completely flipped it at that point, but you know, Kansas's offense was not perfect. They had some things that they could have cleaned up, and that and if they had done that, I think this would have been a gigantic blowout. But, I mean, at this point, when your defense is playing that well, and let's be completely honest, right? Like, you don't want to take any huge chances with any of these offensive players because if Devin Neal goes down or if Jalen Daniels goes down or, honestly, if Daniel Highshaw goes down again, you have to worry about how big of a hit that is to what your offense can do the rest of the year. We've already seen that happen once. You don't want that to happen again. So if the defense can pick up a bunch of slack and make it so you don't have to push as hard with that offense, you take full advantage of it. And that's what Kansas did. So, all right. Um, any other final thoughts about this game before we take a quick look ahead to Texas? No, I think this is exactly what you would want and could ask for out of a big 12 opener. There was a great crowd. The weather stayed off. It was a, it was a dominant win, I think, even more so than maybe the the line uh, or the final score called it. And so, yeah, now you you are ranked, you've got all the momentum, and you get to take on, you know, whoever who is, you know, right now the best team in the conference for a, a, a chance to see how much of a Big 12 contender you really are. Yeah, for sure. All right, before we actually get over to the Texas game, just a little bit of breaking news. Uh, Kansas actually just got a commitment tonight from LeBaron Philon. I think it's how you say his name. 
Um, he has a four-star uh, guard, combo guard, uh, he, in the 2024 class. Uh, let's see, where is he coming from? Uh, he's, from Baker he's a High former School, Auburn. Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, but he's he played at Branson, Missouri, so there's uh, another Missouri area connection there. He was committed to Auburn uh, and, and right. Kansas Re- got him over Bama and Cincinnati right. and Ole Miss. Reopened his recruitment. Alabama, Ole Miss, Cincinnati were all in there, and Kansas got him, which is absolutely fantastic for them. Man, Bill Self is on a tear. Uh, you know, Flag Cooper Flag is is a guy that has been a Duke commit for, or uh, I'm sorry, a a Duke lean for a very long time, and it seems like based off of stuff that I'm hearing, and uh, you know, stuff that other people that I'm connected with are hearing, that um, you know, it seems like there's some momentum happening there that Kansas is making some headway. Now, will it ultimately end up in a in a uh, you know a commitment? I'm not really sure, but the fact of the matter is that you cannot deny that Bill Self is on a on a recruiting tear right now, just getting pretty much anybody he wants, getting involved with pretty much anyone that he wants. If there's a guy, you know, that you don't want to bet against on the recruiting trail, it's probably Bill Self right now. Yeah, you already have uh, Flory uh, uh, Badunga, who's the number five overall player committed for the class of 2024. Now uh, you get uh, Philon, who's number 31, uh, all he did was average 35 points a game last year in high school uh, and played in the Peach Jam this year and averaged uh, 13, 4, and 5. So, you know, not too bad there. You have your Dwan Harris replacement for when when Harris uh, hangs it up in, in, in a Kansas uniform. And, yeah, e- even if, you know, even if you just have those two and a couple other bit, you know, pieces, that's a good recruiting class. You had Cooper Flag to this, and this is – Arguably, you know, we'll see where the where the boozers go because if you don't know, Carlos Boozer's twin sons are um, both top ten recruits, and obviously, looking at Duke and a couple other places. Ironically enough, I think that is what's kind of maybe. I think their commitment is also kind of what you know. I don't think Duke can take them both and Cooper Flag, so that's you know where that some of the maybe the questions lie there, but. Um, you have one of the you have arguably the number one recruiting class in the country if you now get Cooper Flag to join uh these two here and you're you're shaping up for you know, you're gonna have guys who have been staples like uh Dwan leaving a bit, you know, obviously McCullough after this year, Hunter Dickinson, who knows if it's just one or two years. He's doing a great job of setting the setting the the foundation for the future, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean and and the craziest thing to think about is that Juan can come back for one more year, I believe. Um which would be crazy, like to have him back and to have Hunter Dickinson okay. stay. Um, I don't think Hunter Dickinson will stay. If if Kansas has the kind of year that they're expecting to have this year, um, there's a very, very good chance that Hunter Dickinson is, like, gone quickly. Um, well, I say that, but that also depends on, you know, what his draft stock does because I could see it, an, an instance where his draft stock doesn't get that much better because of all the weapons that Kansas has, and then he decides to come back for another year to make a whole bunch of money with NIL um, and – you know, take one more shot at it. But man, Kansas is stacked. They have so many different guys here. Like this is a, I, I never, I no longer get worried about a guy deciding to transfer that I was excited for because, Hey, guess what? They've got tons of other people in the wings that are ready to just go ahead and step in. So, all right. Um, let, let's go ahead and jump over to Texas because, Hey, guess what? Kansas is playing a, a ranked on ranked, uh, you know, game. This is so much different than the last time that Kansas went down to Austin, um, and had, you know, and, and was able to upset Texas with, with a Kansas team that was on the rise. 
but a Texas team that was ex- extremely disappointing. Um, looking at this game, like I, I think everything, you know, the line opened up at like 17 and it's, you know, it got down to 16. It's kind of been hovering between 16 and 20 from what I've seen from a bunch of different books. But, you know, this feels like a game where despite the fact that Kansas is now ranked for, you know, the first time this season um, and ranked playing Texas for the first time ever, I think. I, I don't think they've actually both been ever ranked before at the same time um, when they've been playing each other. It still feels like Texas is kind of overlooking Kansas or that I should say the national media, the people affiliated with Texas that are kind of, you know, that, that cover the team. It, it feels like they're not taking this game seriously. Is that fair, like a fair assessment or is there more to it that I'm just not accounting for? It's a good question. Uh, Texas in itself has struggled with just I, who knows what the reason is. They've been getting off to slow starts. You know, they had the Alabama win, and then they struggled for three quarters against Wyoming. You know, that Baylor was kind of an ugly start to that game before they just finally decided to knock it off and, and take care of business there. It's, you know, I don't know how much this is going to be. It, if if you haven't looked ahead, Texas's next opponent right after Kansas is the Red River with Oklahoma, which is obviously for any – Longhorn and Sooner players, the biggest um, game on the calendar every year. There's a lot of emotion tied to it. Uh, you know, this is like the, you know, this is the the Kansas and Missouri uh, showdown in football form. And so you could make the argument. Uh, I think that having Kansas ranked helps that. I think if Kansas wasn't ranked, you could make the argument that Texas is probably overlooking it and already kind of sneak in an eyeball at the Oklahoma game circled on the calendar and whatnot. I'm sure the fact that Kansas is 4-0 ranked, it's going to make them pay attention a little bit more, and Sark's going to be focused in on that. But, you know, it's it's one of those things where Texas, rightly so, is getting a lot of credit as one of the best teams in the country because I think so far what we've seen, if you follow college football at, at a national level, is that, you know, Georgia has seemed like not exactly kind of what we expect Georgia to be so far. Obviously, we know Alabama, USC really hasn't been challenged yet. Uh, Florida State, you know, struggled with Clemson this year. Like, it, I don't, there's not really a clear great team, but Texas is in there in the top, amid the best teams. Michigan hasn't played anybody yet either. And so Texas is very, very good. I, I don't, you know, Kansas is going to have to be up for that game. I'm just interested. It seems like maybe some of the issues that Kansas had were just slow starts. And for whatever reason, not just putting it together until the second half last year is kind of what we're seeing out of Texas. Um, I don't know if that's going to stay. I don't know if, if, if Oklahoma coming next has anything to do with that. Last time we had to, uh, if you remember, play Oklahoma after the shellacking of, of Texas in that, and, and it didn't go well. So we know that that game, you know, brings a lot of emotions out of it, but um yeah i i can't speak for them but i imagine that it's going to be naturally hard for them not to just kind of look ahead and also think where they're at right now and just the national college football landscape that i don't know how much the they're worried about kansas in particular coming in and, and avenging anything from like the last time it was in austin and that sort of thing but more about just kind of keeping on schedule and not blowing this thing up with with a big game against Oklahoma coming up next week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fair that, you know, Texas, like if, if you have to worry about one of those two games, you probably, 
Like, it's completely fair to not worry as much about the Kansas game. But it's not like this is a game that you can completely overlook. Sark, uh, you know, Sarkeesian uh, down at Texas has talked about um, some of the stuff that Kansas does really well. I, I do think, though, that there is still a kind of a misconception, right, about what this team does. Kevin Fla- Flaherty over at uh, 24-7 Sports was talking, I, I believe he talked with Michael Swain over on, on their podcast, you know, talking about how, you know, kind of in response, Sark, Sark basically said, you know, all the all the guys that are playing really well along their defensive line are all transfers, so they're all brand new. Um, which I don't think he meant it like derogatorily, right? Like it was more of a, hey, we haven't seen these guys before because they all came from a bunch of different places, so it's not like we can say that we know how to handle them. Like I, I think that they're confident that they can, but I don't think like I, I think it was coming from a place of perspective, like, hey, you guys brought in a bunch of dudes that can actually do stuff. Um but I think that misses the fact of like Jeremy Robinson developing, DJ Withers developing, Hayden Hatcher developing, like Tommy Dunn. You know, Kansas has a lot of guys that have really stepped up. And we talked about, you know, in the, in the preseason, and we cut, kind of talked about it over in, in Blue Wings Rising and everything, that this is a Kansas team that we were worried about the defensive line, not because we didn't think the depth could handle it, but we were worried about the top-end guys. We were worried about if they are going to have enough guys that they could do this, the types of rotations and do a lot of different things like they want to do. And I think what this Kansas team does right now in that defensive front is they do so many different things and give you so many different looks well that it's hard to prepare for all of them. A team like Texas should be talented enough. They should have enough physicality to be able to handle all of that, even if they're not 100% prepared for it. But teams that don't have a huge athleticism gap aren't able to really kind of handle what it is that Kansas does without some really good in-game adjustments. And so, uh, you know, I'm I'm definitely interested to kind of see what Kansas is able to do here. Um, the other thing that really jumped out to me, and I forget where I saw it, um, but I believe that Pro Football Focus has Kansas' uh, offensive line ranked as like the fifth best pass protection and the third best run protection line, something to that effect. Um it's kind of ridiculous how good this offensive line has been and nobody is giving it kind of any credit at all. So I will be very like Texas has a good defense this year. I don't know if it's a great defense, but it definitely seems to be trending that way. We will get a very good idea of what this Kansas offensive line is capable of and what that Texas defense really looks like when these two teams meet on Saturday. Yeah. If you haven't watched Jalen Ford of Texas, he is one of the best defenders in the country. Um, And a nightmare to go up against. And you're right. Texas is not lacking of, of very talented players on both sides of the ball. I mean, you look that they, you know, they don't have Bajon Robinson anymore, but Jonathan Brooks has, has done really well. Not only is, is Xavier worthy back, but then uh, Adonai Mitchell from Georgia is looking really good for them. And they just, yeah, they, they have a, a lot of guys. It's going to be more about, I think, scheme and what can, Kovalecki um, and Leipold and, and the staff cook up in a week and see that they can, can take advantage of because Texas has also done a really good job against the run this year. Now, you know, they, I, some of it, I don't know how much is they get up on outside of, well, even in the Alabama game, they get up and then they're forcing teams to pass to try and catch up with them. But that's been something to watch. They've been really good there. Obviously, Quinn Ewers has been very very good so far this year. Hasn't even thrown an interception. Nine to zero in touchdown interception ratio. A thousand yards already. He's he's playing excellent. So it's a tall task. And if this is one of those where for Kansas, 
it's not that it's not that you're playing with house money, but if you go and lose that game and it's competitive and it's within, you know, two touchdowns, no one is going to fault you. I don't think that says anything about them in a negative way that now suddenly this team's a fraud. Um, but if you win that game, you are oh, man. you are in contention for uh, a, a spot in Dallas for the Big 12 championship yeah, game. Because I mean, Kansas wins that game and they probably jump into the top 15 easily. Like that's how a big that win would be for them. But all right, we will we will definitely be doing a full preview of this game coming up later this week. Uh, I have actually already kind of I'm not going to tell you exactly who's coming on, but I'm sure you guys already know because we have them on quite a bit. Um, yeah, but we will, we will definitely have the details of those coming out soon. Um, but before, or I'm sorry, but, but that is going to do it for us for tonight. Cause we will definitely dive deep into Texas, uh, later this week, but Kyle, thank you so much for joining me and thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple podcast, Spotify, any of the other million apps that are out there, just search for rock chalk podcast. So you can subscribe get every episode as soon as it comes out. Give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments. would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, email me at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 10 Podcast Network covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. Yes, all 14 of them. In, and then also some of the new teams that are coming in next week, next year as, all, as well. But... Um, go to 1012network.com you can find links to all the great shows that we have and of course we love being part of the sports social uh, podcast network which is the biggest Europe European network um, that there is so but make sure you guys visit our sponsors um, Charlie Hustle Price Picks great deals that we have over there but thank you guys so much for listening we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chuck Podcast Podcast Network.